I want to uh, speak this morning from uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, this was not the uh, direction I was intending on heading this week, uh, but about midweek, my wife and I were just doing an evening devotional, and we're reading this passage, and uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but uh, God just showed up and just landed on these three verses that I'm going to be picking apart here this morning. It was one of those things where uh, I love and hate when this happens because I get this sort of inspiration and I couldn't sleep most of the night. I ended up just chewing on these verses for the whole night and it has just been a tremendous blessing to me and I want to share it with you. It has to do with discipleship. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Paul says, I pray, he's praying for the Ephesians, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as, you're, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Look at that phrase. The breadth and the length, the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, you, you have just landed on me this week with these passages and uh, expanded my vision of you through these passages. And my prayer, God, and our prayer is that you would do that here this morning. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, God. And, and we pray that the word that goes forth would have your authority, not mine. We could care less about a human speech. It's not about that. It's about encountering the living God who is here in this place. And I pray especially for those here this morning that are under strongholds that perhaps keep them from really seeing the full uh, length, depth, width, and height of your love. God, just open our eyes and let it transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. I uh, think I have a title for this message, though you won't understand the title until probably towards the end. But as was mentioned earlier, I want to call this something like uh, the God of etc., 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 etc. How high? Higher. All right? Something like that. And what I want to do is I want to just really pick apart these verses, these three verses. That's what we're here to do. We just chew on, on passages and, and bring out the nuggets that are there. And what I want to do uh, is, is start at the end of this passage and work my way uh, kind of backwards throughout the whole thing. What we have in this passage is uh, a statement about the goal of all discipleship. We're in the middle of this discipleship series. And what this passage does is it tells us the goal of discipleship and the most fundamental means of Christian discipleship. So I'm going to start at the end where the goal is stated, and we're going to uh, go through this verse backwards. The goal of the, the, the whole thing is found in verse 19, where Paul says he prays these various things for the Ephesians, so that, in order that, with result that, you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. The goal of all Christian growth, and in fact it's the goal of all creation, the purpose for all creation is to be filled with all the fullness of God. We were made to be filled 
with all the fullness of God. The most fundamental, and we've, we've, we mentioned this quite a bit around here, it's, it's, it's uh, foundational, it's important. The most fundamental need in the human life is to be filled with all the fullness of God. We were meant to live life out of fullness. Not just out of fullness, but out of the fullness of God. There is in the core of our being this vacuum, and it's got a sign on it that says, meant to be filled with all the fullness of God. And all the yearnings of our heart ultimately are reflections of the yearning of our soul to be filled with all the fullness of God. The yearning gets expressed in a multitude of different ways. This, the reason why all of us at various times experience life to be sort of empty, uh, sort of boring, kind of dull, is because we're meant to be filled with all the fullness of God, and there's nothing in this life, in this physical world, that, that, that satisfies that. We experience life sometimes as, as, as being lonely. Uh, we, we feel lonely. There's a hunger. There's a thirst that is there. And what we normally do, with the fall, what we in the fallen world normally do, is uh, try to fill that void with a multitude of things. We try to anesthetize the pain of the yearning in our heart with a multitude of things in a multitude of ways. Some people drink too much to try to just uh, drown out that sense of emptiness and that, that, that boredom that is there, the mundaneness of life. Some people throw themselves into ever new relationships because the excitement of falling in love again, it just sort of, it, it distracts us from how empty life is in and of itself. Some people try to collect a lot of toys, collect a lot of things, get a lot of riches. And, and uh, you know, it, it's just ways of distracting ourselves from emptiness. We're running from the pain of the yearning in our innermost heart, which is longing to be filled with all the fullness of God. Multitude of ways that we have for distracting ourselves. I'm, I'm convinced that one of the reasons why people like scandals and why tabloid newspapers sell so well is because people... It gives us the illusion that something important is happening. Oh, here's something to think about. And if, we can, if there's something kind of exciting or scandalous to think about, it distracts us from the emptiness of our own life. But at best, the things that we can do to try to... In fact, I would say that all sin, all sin can most fundamentally be defined as a strategy to distract from the yearning of our heart for, to be filled with all the fullness of God. False strategies and false ways of, uh, of acquiring a surrogate fullness in our life. Try to make it look like things are happening, things are exciting, things are significant or, or, or whatever. It's all just distracting. We're created to be filled with all the fullness of God. And to the extent that we try to fill our lives with other things, it leaves us, in the end, it gives us a uh, spiritual stomachache, if you will, because we're eating surrogate food. It's not food that we were ever meant to really eat. It gives us a spiritual stomachache, and it always leaves us hungry. But we buy into a lie that if we only had a little bit more of it, did it a little bit more, got it a little more thoroughly, well, then, then, then our life would be full, but it never actually happens. The yearning of our heart that comes out in a multitude of ways is there as a homing device to drive us into a relationship with God such that the result is we are filled with all the fullness of God. The only one who can satisfy the yearnings of the heart, the only one who can make life really significant, the one, only one who can make life really meaningful, the only one who can make life really full is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? One of the most fundamental things we can do in our, as we're talking about growing in the Christian life is simply to commit ourselves to weaning ourselves from the, our addiction to surrogate fullness. 
to stop the process of allowing ourselves to be distracted, getting busy with a bunch of things, uh, always keeping the plate full as a way of distracting ourselves from the emptiness of life without God, because only when we allow ourselves to experience the emptiness of life without God do we really then have a, 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 a direction and yearning to discover the fullness of life with God. And so it's a matter of weaning ourselves from that. The question to ask yourselves here at this point is, uh, are there things, are, are you, do you have a sinful strategy of acquiring surrogate fullness? And see, as long as that strategy is in place, to that degree it will block you from discovering the real thing that your heart hungers for. We're created to live life out of the uh, fullness of our relationship with God. Now, no, 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 let's take a, a look at that phrase, this incredible phrase, where Paul says, the goal is to be filled with all the fullness of God. Uh, this is like a, a quadruple superlative here. It's an incredible phrase. It's, it's absolutely mind-boggling. Let's, let's chew on it a little bit. Paul prays that we may be filled, not just have a little bit, with all, not just part, of the fullness, not just an aspect, of God, not just an angel. <laughs> Be filled to the brim with all the fullness of God. Paul says that that is available, available to us right here and right now, and that's why he's praying that the Ephesians right here and right now would experience that. Be filled, if, if Paul would have just said, I pray that you could be filled with God, you know, that, that would, or if Paul just said, I pray that you have, might have a little bit of God, that would, have been, it might, that would have been great. But he goes further, he says, I pray that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The fullness of God. And he doesn't just say the fullness of God, he says all the fullness of God. It's like he's stretching language to make sure that we get the full uh, uh, scope of the glory of, of what is available to us. And he prays not just that we'd have a little bit of all the fullness of God, but that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. 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 King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the universe. May you have all of him, all the fullness of what makes him him. It is, when you, when you get it, it is the most, is there anything that, that, that we could have possibly gotten that God didn't give us? He gave us himself, not just himself, but all of himself, not just all of himself, but all the fullness of himself, and he wants us to be filled with that. Oh, man. <laughs> we, so often, in, the, in this culture, perhaps more than others, we reduce salvation down to this fire insurance policy to avoid hell. And if you just believe these three things and do these 19 things, well, then you have the ticket to go to heaven and you escape hell. And hallelujah, we get to escape hell. But that is, that is just the beginning. It's, it's just a consequence of what the package deal is about. When you surrender your life to Christ, what God gives you is everything. I mean everything because he gives you himself. He pours himself into you. Without remainder, he holds nothing back. It couldn't be more glorious. It couldn't be more beautiful. It couldn't be more wonderful. It couldn't be more full. And that's why he created us. He, he wants to pour himself without remainder into us. In fact, let's get theological here for a second. See, the, the, the goal of the whole thing, the reason why creation exists at all is because God wants all of creation and our relationship with him to mirror who he is. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect, unimprovable love. The three persons of the Trinity, they have a perfect loving relationship with one another. They indwell one another. In theology, they, traditionally, they call this the perichoresis of the three persons. Uh, they indwell with one another. They're perfectly surrendered over to one another. 
They love one another. And God wants that relationship, that perfect love relationship, to be mirrored in how he relates to us, how we relate to ourselves, and how we relate to one another. And so he creates, this, he creates us with this void, this vacuum, and says, yearn for me because I want to repeat who I am towards you. I want to repeat who I am towards you. I want to be poured into you the way I am poured into myself. I, all, all, it means this, all the fullness of God, 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 all of God's bliss he wants to pour into us, the bliss that characterizes the triune God he wants to pour into us, all of God's love dwells in us, the fullness of God's love, the fullness of God's grace, the fullness of God's glory, the fullness of of God's power. And when that happens, now the triune God is being reflected in terms of how he relates to us and being reflected throughout all creation. It blows my mind. It, just, it blows my mind. It's like God, he, 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 doesn't, just, he doesn't just save us. He, he oversaves us. <laughs> We're oversaved this morning. It's, uh, it, it, see, here's what I love about God. Get a, get a glimpse of the beauty of God. How, how, how beautiful is God? He's more beautiful. Well, whatever beautiful conception you have, he's more beautiful than that. This is a God who everything he does, he does to express who he is, and who he is is infinite loving perfection. So everything he does, he does to the infinite degree. He's a God of extremes. There's not one ounce of mediocrity in this God. He never goes halfway. He never does the minimum. He never, you know, goes in the middle of the road. He's a God who's kind of out of control, doesn't have any bounds. He, uh, whatever he does, he goes to the extreme. When it comes to saving us, look at Calvary. When, when it comes to saving us, rescuing this, this little group of people on this little tiny planet and this little tiny solar system and this little galaxy in some remote corner of the universe, when it comes to saving them, he doesn't just, you know, send a prophet, send an angel, that would have been wonderful, send us a book, that would have been wonderful, give us some advice, you know, encourage us now and then, help us when we, we're in need. He doesn't just do that. This God goes all the way. He becomes one of us. He enters he dives in smack dab into the middle of our mess. He takes on our humanity and not just takes on our humanity. He, on the cross, takes on our sin. He takes on the punishment for, for, uh, for that sin. God goes into the extreme opposite of what he is. The he is holy. But the Bible says God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He goes to the opposite extreme. The infinite God becomes finite. The glorious God uh, suffers the ignobility of the cross. The exalted God becomes debased on the cross. This is a God who's got no limits. He's got no bounds. When it comes to love, he expresses the infinite, perfect, uh, unimprovable, unsurpassable, incomprehensible love that he is in his relationship with us. And now Paul tells us that God not only did that on the cross, he wants that kind of relationship with us on an ongoing basis. He wants to be fully, totally poured out towards us as we are fully, totally poured out towards him. And so the inspired word says, all be filled, not just part, with all, not just part, with the fullness, not just part, of God, not just an angel or something else. Be filled with all the fullness of God. It's glorious. What a beautiful God we serve. What a beautiful God we serve. That's the goal. Everything that is God's by nature, he wants to share with us by grace in full. That's the destiny of the Christian life. It couldn't be more beautiful. It couldn't be more glorious, more breathtaking than it is. Now, how do we get increasingly filled? In, when you surrender your life to Christ, in principle, that is there. The reservoir is there. It's a question of being released with it, uh, of, of walking in the experience of it. And how does that happen? This is the goal of all di discipleship. 
And so now I want to pick apart the prayer that, that Paul prays because the whole prayer is there so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So he says this in verses 16 and 17. Here's how to get filled. He says, I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. A couple of preliminary points. Note that Paul's prayer, first of all, is that we'd be strengthened in our inner being, that God would strengthen us in our inner being. God is always concerned with the inner being. God is never concerned with behavior in and of itself because behavior is simply a reflection of what's going on in the inner being. Transformation is always, from a gospel perspective, from the inside out. God is, God is not a behavior, uh, is not into behavior modification. Uh, he's into internal transformation. Because when you transform the inside of a person, the outside eventually gets transformed. But try to transform the outside of the person, you leave the inside just a- as it was. Uh, people often, and churches often, religion almost always uses uh, various tactics, manipulation, laws, rules, regulations, uh, social pressure, and other ways of trying to get conformity in behavior. But see, God isn't into that. You can have a good outside-looking person, and the inside can be totally corrupt. Uh, that's where the Pharisees were at. What God wants is not just people who act different. He wants people who are different and who act different because, in fact, they are different. So the prayer is not that we would uh, you know, change our behavior. The prayer is that God would transform us in our innermost self. Now, the way that we're transformed by our innermost self is not by trying hard. Paul doesn't say that. The way we're transformed in our innermost self, he says, is by having Christ dwell in our hearts through faith as we're being rooted and grounded in love. These are two aspects of the same coin. As Christ dwells in your heart through faith, you are being rooted and grounded in love. Let's chew on that phrase, rooted and grounded in love. It's a, 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 the phrase comes from, it's an agricultural metaphor. To be rooted is what a plant, what a tree does. It gets rooted in the ground. It speaks of where you get your nourishment, where you get your source of life. And the deeper the roots go, uh, the more grounded you are. The term literally means tied to the ground. You're grounded, you're solid, you're stable. So whatever you're rooted and grounded in is that which you get life from, that which you get nourishment from, that which feeds you, and that which makes your life stable. It's, it, it, it's the, the, the stabilizing factor in your life. And what Paul is saying here is this. The way to grow towards being filled with all the fullness of God is to be rooted and grounded in love and nothing but love. To make that the source of your life. You are as healthy as you are rooted and grounded in love and nothing else. You are as vibrant. Your life will be as vibrant. Your life will be as victorious. Your life will be as joyful as you are rooted and grounded in love. The love that God has for you and the love that God empowers you to have for yourself and for all others. Be rooted and grounded in that. Make that the source of your life, the source of your esteem, the source of your worth, and make that the stabilizing, the one single stabilizing factor in your life. You see, it's, it's possible, and in fact, in a fallen world, it's probably inevitable that we're, to some degree, rooted and grounded in something else. Whatever is your source of esteem, whatever makes you feel good about yourself, makes your life seem worthwhile, makes you feel on top of your game, makes your life feel together, you're stable, that, that is what you're rooted and grounded in. And the question we got to ask ourselves is this. Is it, in fact, in our life, the love of God shown to us on Jesus Christ and nothing else? 
It's possible to, be, possible to be rooted and grounded in many other things. In my first Christian experience, I was rooted and grounded in a particular doctrine, a particular set of doctrines, in a particular set of behaviors. And we need stable doctrine. We need good teaching. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. But we're not to be getting life from that. And see, in my early Christian experience, I, I was saved in this uh, kind of radical group that that uh, had a lot of odd teachings. Uh, you know, we, we had all the truth and nothing but the truth, and everyone else had it who disagreed with us had it wrong. And uh, we were saved, and they were at least less saved and probably unsaved. And we were holy, and they were kind of backslidden. It was a system that had a lot of strange teachings and a lot of uh, rules of behavior about, you know, how, how you're supposed to live and what you're supposed to look like and whatever. We baptized right. We baptized in Jesus' name. Every other one, every, all the other groups do it wrong. And unless you say in Jesus' name when you're going down into the water, well, then your sins aren't forgiven. Uh, and so even though you love God, God's going to send you to hell because the right words weren't said over you when you went down in the water. And we had our proof text that was drilled into us. We could take the verses of the Bible and put them all together, and we had a whole system structured. And we, 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 I never read the Bible as sort of a love letter to me. I read it as a weapon. Uh, this, is, this, is, this, is, this proves that I'm right and they're wrong. You see, and, and I, I was rooted and grounded getting life from the particular doctrines and holiness code that this particular church had. Now, as I look back on it, I wasn't being transformed in the inner person, wasn't being strengthened in the inner person, wasn't growing in love in the inner person. In fact, as I look back on it, I now see that we were eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in a vicious way, which the Bible uh, uh, diagnoses as being the root sin of humanity, Genesis chapter 3. I was getting life from, this is what it means, to eat from the tree of, uh, of good and evil. I was getting life from the fact that, that I was right and they were wrong and I was holy and they were not. And you get a little life from that. You're the special people. You're the ones who have all the truth. And, and we're feeding off of that. And it wasn't transforming my, my, my uh, inner being. But neither was it stabilizing my life. I wasn't getting nourishment from it, not in the inner self, and it wasn't stabilizing my life. Because there came a time when as my knowledge of the Bible began to expand and I began to read the Bible more on my own, I really began to question a lot of their teachings. Um, I began to see how arbitrary their way of piecing the Bible together was. On top of that, as I went to the University of Minnesota, I, I took a class where the professor uh, convinced me at that point anyways that evolution was true, which meant that Genesis 1 couldn't be literal. And, and the, the, the church that I was in, it doesn't bother me a bit now, but back then it was that they taught that if, if Genesis 1 isn't a literal six days, then, then the whole Bible's a book of lies. And so my head was thrown into a tizzy. I began to question everything. I didn't know what I believed. I, I, I was just all confused. You see... If you're rooted and grounded in your particular opinions of what is true, then if you change the opinions of what is true, all of a sudden the roots begin to shake and the grounding uh, it begins to, to, to quiver, and you're never getting nourished anyways. I've known people who have gone into an absolute tizzy because uh, they discover that their reading of the book of Re the hell Lindsay doesn't have the final word in the book of Revelation. Huh? It's just like, oh no, my, my faith comes crashing down. The house of cards theology that I had built is, is coming tumbling down on me. I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. People, you know, start to question perhaps their view of the tribulation or, or the rapture or their view of hell or particular understanding of sanctification or speaking in tongues or what have you. And I've known people to go into an absolute tizzy. I've gone into an absolute tizzy because I begin to question that. In fact, I've known a couple of people who have gotten really screwed up just by reading this book that Paul Eddy and I wrote called Across the Spectrum. 
Because that book, we, we deal with all the major issues that Christians you know, debate, and we lay out both sides or all three sides of, a, 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 of each issue, and we don't tell the reader which one's right. We, you know, it's a teaching tool. Hey, you, 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 know, you, you decide on your own. I've known a few people who, who read that book and it's like, you know, there's a position that they've always disagreed with and all of a sudden, you know, the case that the person makes is not that dumb. You know, you always thought that people who disagreed with you were idiots or immoral and it turns out they hear some godly, intelligent people who, who make a case against you and they get thrown into a tizzy. If you want to get really screwed up, read my book across the spectrum. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. What I've learned is this. Uh, you know, it's important to know what you believe and why you believe it. And, I, and it's important to be have, to have sound teaching. Uh, there's implications on life. That's important stuff. I believe that, that, that we, we should discuss that. We should be probing the word for that. You know, it's good to write books on that. It's good to buy books from people who write on that. Uh, that, that that's... That's all good stuff, but don't get life from it. Don't get rooted and grounded in that. I've had times in my life where, through seminary where I, I didn't know quite what I thought about a whole lot of things. But if I know this one thing, my life is stable, and that is that I am loved profoundly by the God who created me in the person of Jesus Christ. And if I've got that, I've got enough. Amen. My worth, my esteem, what stabilizes my life, what, what, what gives me a sense of, of, of being solid is the fact that I, I define who I am in the person of Jesus Christ. I define who God is in the person of Jesus Christ. I define who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. And I could be wrong on every other thing that I believe, but if I'm all right on that point, well, that's enough. And that doesn't mean the other stuff isn't important, but it means I'm not going to get life from that. I get no life from being right. I get no life from being wrong. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. I got to have Jesus. I got to have Jesus. Uh, sometimes, you know, I, I, I had a, uh, okay, I have time to go to this. I, I had a discussion with a, uh, a young lady uh, several, I, uh, several months ago now who was interested in the open view. And, uh, uh, and she wanted to talk to me because she was starting to be, think that that was probably true, but uh, she had some questions. So we met together, and um, uh, she was so intense. It was like she was, in, she was raised in a, a real traditional environment and still was in a real traditional environment, and this thing was just causing her pain. And so she wanted to talk about the open view, but I said to her, you know what, I, 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 I don't want to talk about the open view or God's foreign. I, I, I want to talk about your view of God. Um, because you seem, this seems like, like too much is at stake in this discussion. Uh, you know, do you believe in Jesus? And she goes, of course. She was kind of offended that I would even question that. I said, are, are you sincerely trying to understand, uh, you know, truth? And she goes, of course I am. And then I just said, now, if, if, if Jesus died for you, do you think you're going to get to heaven or go before the judgment throne and he's going to throw you out because you came to the wrong conclusion? Wrong conclusion. You misinterpreted that verse. Um, you know, it, it's like, uh, there's, this is important stuff. I like talking about this, but, but you got to know this. Uh, uh, this shouldn't affect your sense of standing before God. Your standing before God comes because of your heart's orientation to Jesus Christ. And, and what I want to do here is, you know, let's forget about it. I don't care what, what you think about, you know, the future. I, I want to know where you are right now. And, and, and do you have a picture of God such that you understand that his love for you is profound? And it doesn't go up or down based on what 
whether or not you have the right ontological status of possibilities in the future. That's an important topic, but it shouldn't affect your identity. It shouldn't affect your security before God. The only source we're to have, the only thing we're to be rooted and grounded in, and, and, and we'll be transformed only to the degree that this is true, is that when we're rooted and grounded in the love that God has for us and the love that he empowers us to love ourselves and others with, with that's the beginning, the middle, the end of the entire Christian life. Be rooted and grounded in love. How do you, how do you grow towards being filled with all the fullness of God? Get rooted and grounded in love and nothing other than love. But Paul also prays this. And it's really the same prayer. It's not a second prayer. It's, uh, he's fleshing out what he said in the first prayer. Here's how you get rooted and grounded in love. He says, I pray, pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that, now look at that, comprehending this is very important because Paul says, prays that we could comprehend it in order that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. We are to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of the love of Jesus Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now here's what's odd about this passage. How do you comprehend something that's incomprehensible? Paul himself says this. I pray that you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It sounds like one of these Zen koans. Have you ever been familiar with, you know, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Uh, they're, 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 they're riddles that are supposed to jar your brain into, you know, enlightenment. What is, uh, you know, what is, oh, grasshopper, what, how, how do you know that which is unknowable? And it's like, well, how, what do you do with this? Oh, Grasshopper. You ever see that kung fu? Oh, never mind. No, I, I'm convinced that, that Paul never talks nonsense. So what could he possibly mean when he says, I pray that you may comprehend what is, what is the, 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 the breadth and the height and the length and the depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Well, well, consider this. Think about, in mathematics, they have this concept of an infinite set. You familiar with that? An infinite set. An infinite set is a set that goes on and on and on and on and never has a limit. It's an et cetera, et cetera set. Uh, the set of all even numbers. Is there a greatest uh, even number? No. You could always add two more to it and then four more to it. Uh, so there's no greatest even number, but you, know what an, but you know what the set of all even numbers is, right? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, sixteen, and now it's getting too high to count. But, but you know, it, 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 it's all even numbers, and the set is infinite. It goes on and on and on. You know what the set is. You can understand the concept of the set, but you can never grasp the set because you're finite and the set is infinite. You can never get your brain around it because however far you stretch your brain, you can always add more to it. It's always more. It's etc. 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 The square root of pi. Let's get intellectual here. Do you understand the square root of pi? You know probably what the square root, the concept of the square root of pi, but you can never comprehend it because it's infinite. They've had computers working on this for, for 20 some years, and they're, they're going to be working until they finally break down because there is no final digit to the square root of, of pi. It just goes on and on, etc., etc., etc. Do you understand what time is? Of course you do. Maybe you're thinking about it right now. Uh, you, you know what time is, you know, sequence, one thing happening after another. But now ask yourself this question. Was there a first moment in sequence? Was there a first thing that happened? 
You can't conceive of that because you can always ask, well, what, what, what happened one minute before that or one second before that or 10 billion years before that? You know, th- there, had to, uh, there had to be a sequence before that. So you can't conceive of time having a, be- having a beginning, but can you conceive of it having an end? Yeah, or or, or uh, can you conceive of it not having a beginning? No. However far back you go, you can go farther and farther and farther, and it just go, it's that way all the way, etc., etc., etc. You never get to a first moment. You can't conceive of that. What about space? Can you conceive of, uh, you know, think about space. We all know what space is, but we can never comprehend it. Does space have a limit or not? If you were to take a rocket ship and, and had the power to do so, would you, would you run into a wall at the edge of the universe? No trespassing. Well, you can always ask the question, what, you know, uh, what's outside that wall? Uh, two inches outside that wall. Two trillion miles outside that wall. You can't conceive of space having a limit, but you can't conceive of space not having a limit. You can't conceive of time having a limit, but you can't conceive of time not having a limit. You know what it is, but precisely because you understand what it is, you know that you can never comprehend it. You understand it when you understand that you can't understand it, and that's what the love of Christ is like. Is it it working? You're beginning to understand the love of Christ when you know what it is, because Calvary tells us, but you understand that you can never get your brain around it. All you can do is say, etc., etc., etc. However beautiful a conception of the love of God that you have, uh, you understand the real beauty uh, of the love of God when you understand that it's infinitely better than anything you can conceive. So what is the breadth of the love of Christ? What is the breadth? If you understand it, all you can say is, as the shirt does, it's broader. It's broader. Is it this big? No, it's broader. Is it this big? Is it, no, no, it's broader. How far, is, how far is the east from the west? However far east you go, you can go easter. However far west you go, you can go wester. That's what the love of Jesus Christ is like. You, you, can't, you can't get your arms around it. You can't get your brain around it. You can't put limits on it. Wherever you run, he's there. Uh, you can't hide from him. You can, you can uh, uh, you know, do a lot of things in life to try to outrun the love of God, but you got to know this. You're finite, and he's infinite, which means he's going to win, and you're going to lose. However broad you think it is, it's broader. How, how, uh, how uh, long? How, what is the length of the love of Christ? Well, it's longer. It's longer. How, how far back can you go? Well, you can go farther. How far fo- forward can you go? Uh, you, you, can, you can go farther. Uh, the love of Christ. You begin to understand it when you understand that you can't possibly understand it. It never began. It never will end. It do- it's not like something in time that wears out. It doesn't get fatigued. It doesn't get weary. It doesn't get depleted. It doesn't begin to waver. It's like the ever-ready bu- bunny infinitely charged. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. It will be there two trillion years from now, just as it is right now. How, how, how long is the love of Christ? It's longer. It's etc. 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 Amen. How, how high is, is the love of Christ? It's higher. It's higher. Is it high? Yeah, it's higher than that. Uh, how high is high? How high is high? Um, if you take a rocket ship and just went up, you know, straight, would you come to a limit? You can't conceive of that. Would you not come to a limit? Can't conceive of that either. It's inconceivable. 
Uh, how high is it? The, the love of Christ is a mountain that you, you begin to, you begin to uh, you know, try to get over this thing. You begin to climb on this thing. And after 10 trillion years, after 10 trillion years to the 10 trillionth power, uh, you know what? You, you, have, you have just as far to go as you did the moment you started climbing that thing because the, the mountain is infinite. Uh, it, it, how high is the, the love of Christ? You, you begin to understand how high it is when you understand that you can't possibly understand it. And how deep is the love of Christ? It's deeper, etc., etc., etc. To say that it's deep is almost an insult because deep isn't the word. Uh, it's you, 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 you start going down, and, and you're just going to keep on going throughout eternity because it is that deep. It is an infinite reservoir. It's an infinite reservoir that God says he wants to well up within us. It, it, there, it, it, will, it, it is a, a reservoir that will never be depleted. It will never run dry. It will never run out. It, there's always as much available of it as there ever was. The, the more it is spent, it doesn't deplete it. No, it, he's got as much love there as he's always had. How high, how broad. How wide, how deep is the love of Christ? It's higher, it's broader, it's deeper, it's wider. It couldn't be higher, it couldn't be deeper, it couldn't be broader, it couldn't be wider. And when you begin to understand that you can't possibly understand it, now you're beginning to understand it, praise God. It has no limits, it has no bounds. It's more beautiful than you can ever possibly conceive. You right now, as, as we're sitting here, we are surrounded on every side by... It's like... It's like <laughs> Uh, a, it's like being in the, in the bottom of the ocean with the sea pressure. You know, they say that there's like, like you know, a thousand tons per square inch of pressure on you when you're down two miles by the Titanic. The water's pressing in on you. Well, you know what? Whether you realize it or not, and none of us fully realize it, but we are just being pressed in on by, uh, by an infinite pressure of the love of God. Uh, above us, it comes down on us. Uh, on the sides, it comes at us. From the bottom, it supports us. We are surrounded at every minute, right Right now, here, as you're sitting here, you are surrounded by that love, that infinite love. And the goal of the whole thing is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And you're beginning to understand it when you understand that you cannot understand it. It's broader, it's more beautiful, it's more wonderful than you could ever possibly imagine. Maybe you're sitting here, undoubtedly there are people sitting here who, who are saying, well, this sounds too good to be true. Uh, you know, maybe it applies to other people, but it doesn't apply to me because you don't know. You don't know what I've done. You don't know about the divorce. You don't know about the abortion. You don't know about the adultery. You don't know how I've hurt people. You don't know how I've abandoned kids. You don't know how drug addicted I am. You know, oh, it just can't apply to me. Lies, 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 lies. Lies, 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 lies. You are a finite point. God is infinite. Uh, you know, your, your little, next to the infinity of God's love, your finite little sins don't stand a chance. That's why Jesus died. He died to just totally erase that stuff. Quit trying to fight him with your puny finite reasoning uh, inspired by the, the God of this age, the, the demons of this world. Just accept the fact that you cannot understand it and let it be. Rest in it. You'll begin to grow in the fullness of God when you just surrender to that reality that's beyond anything you can possibly understand. Others are maybe sitting there saying, well, all the voices in my head, the neurons in my brain, they tell me, you know, they're, they're echoes of the past. Dad told me that I was no good. Mom said this. Grandpa said this. My boyfriend did this to me, and this accident happened. This tragedy happened. Why did God let this happen? And yada, yada, yada. But you know what? 
Those are nothing but your damaged four pounds of noodles between your ears firing away, you know, just, just chemical reactions. You will grow when you decide that that damaged computer of yours uh, doesn't tell you the truth all the time. And it's time just to set that aside. Who are you going to obey? Who's going to be Lord of your life? The little echoes in your head or God Almighty? I'm telling you here, let God be God. Let every neuron be a liar. Let every memory be a liar. Let every voice of the past be a liar. And you begin to be transformed in your mind when you understand the love of Christ that's beyond understanding. When you begin to know the love of Christ that's beyond all knowledge. And see, this, Paul says, as we get this, as we get this, as we begin to understand, live in, be rooted and grounded, drink of this, let this be the one stabilizing force in your life, that you are surrounded at every point with an infinite sea of love. As you are rooted in that and as you are grounded in that, you will now be in the process of experiencing all the fullness of God, filled with 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 all the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a glorious God we have. Paul says it's the love of Christ that, 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 that urges us on. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. Uh, the motivation for growing in the Christian life, it's not, it's not the oughts, the shoulds, the fear, the threats. You know, there are, there are, you know, there's a place for understanding consequences of behavior, for sure, for sure. But the fundamental driving force in our life as we strive to, be, uh, to grow is the, 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 that awareness of the love. As we begin to understand the love, and you begin to understand it when you understand that you can't understand it. He's bigger than your puny little brain. Uh, that, that drives us on. Because the core vacuum in your heart that says, it has a sign on it that says, created to be filled with all the fullness of God. As, as your brain lets your heart experience that, as you begin to comprehend it, your innermost being goes, oh, that is what I've always been looking for. That's what I was made for. I got to have that. That's so beautiful. I got to have more of that. That's so lovely. I, I, I got to have more of that. Uh, that, that, is so, that. That is life itself. And then there's a part of you that's just being driven. As you, as you set aside the distractions, as you set aside the addiction to surrogate fullness, now there's a part of you that just says, man, this is what it is all about. I surrender to this. I want this. I got to have more of this. This is, this is everything. And now you're growing in the Christian life. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. And it could not be more beautiful than it is. Would you close your eyes to pray? I have two questions here. And I just want to have a little transaction with God here, okay? Here's the transaction. Uh, first question is this. Are you here? This, I, just check your inner world right now. Is there a part of you right now, and maybe it's a major part or maybe it's just a minor part, that is resistant to this passage? Is there a part of you that says, yes, but? Is there a part of you that can't accept that the love is always higher, always longer, always broader, always deeper than you can ever imagine? And if, if that is true for you here this morning, just you and God here, as everyone's praying with their eyes closed and you're, you're looking inside themselves, I, I, I just want to come against that for a moment here this morning. Would you just raise your hand very quickly? Amen. Amen. Just raise your hand. Why not have every area of your life surrendered to this? Is there a party that resists this? A voice of the past? A voice of the present? Amen. Wonderful. Here's the second question. I'm going to pray for that. I also want to pray for this other thing. Is there anybody here this morning 
who is, you've never begun the process of being rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ, or maybe you did a long time ago, but it's not a reality now, and you need to do it again. Would you raise your hand? You want to become a, a disciple of Jesus this morning? Just raise your hand very high so I can see it. Surrender to the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen over here. Praise God. Wonderful. I see that hand. Anybody else? We had about 14 people last night who surrendered their life to Christ. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. And you say, you know, I, I, this morning is the morning I want to do. I, 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 I just want to surrender this. Just give up. Don't fight it. Oh, back there. Praise God. Wonderful. The Lord loves you. Anybody else? One more moment. Over back there. Wonderful. Amen, brother. Amen, sister. That's, that's, the Lord, his love is pressing in on you. All he wants is for you to say, okay, I give up. I surrender. Okay, let me first pray for the, these, uh, for, for the needs, uh, th those who have an area of resistance in their life. And just in your spirit, pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I come against everything in our brains, everything in our hearts, and everything in the spiritual realm that keeps us from receiving without qualification this message. Father, I thank you that your love is higher, it's deeper, it's wider, it's broader than we could ever possibly imagine. It's more beautiful than we could possibly imagine. But God, the strongholds of our brains sometimes qualify that. Try to water it down. Uh, don't let it get in very deep. Lord, I, in Jesus' name, we together come against everything, everything but everything that would possibly resist this. Because Lord, what we want is to be people who walk in, the, in all the fullness of who you are in our life, Lord God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, let the strongholds fall. Holy Spirit, be rooting out lies that are in our heart, lies that are in our head, lies of the voices of the past, lies of the voices of the present, Lord God, that we might be totally, unequivocally, unabashedly, uncompromisingly surrendered to the truth that you're pressing in on us from all directions with an infinite reservoir of love. Now, you who raised your hands this morning who want to surrender your life to Christ for the first time, will, will you verbally, out loud, pray this prayer with me? And we're going to pray it with you out of solidarity with you. But pray it from the depths of your heart. Heavenly Father, I cannot conceive of your love. I do not understand how you could love me even though I have not lived for you. But I confess that I am a sinner in need of your love, in need of your grace. And so I ask you, Lord, to come into my life, forgive my sins, and begin the process of transforming me in my heart. I surrender everything over to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Those who will commit their life to Christ this morning, I want to welcome you to the kingdom. Amen. Praise God. Amen. And the, 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 the dozen or so people who surrendered their life to Christ here for the first time, could I ask you with all earnestness to take a minute now as we're being dismissed. And over in this corner, there's this lovely lady who's got some information that we want to give you to help you get started on the Christian walk. If you have any needs whatsoever to be prayed for, uh, we have our, our, if our prayer team would come forward, you can come forward and spend some time in prayer. Otherwise, go forth. Love one another out in the gathering area. Meet some new people. Let, let's create a, let, let's let that, all the fullness of God's love flow here this morning and bring it out to the world. God bless you guys. We love you.